Well, good morning, Northland family. My name is Tom, and my family has been part of this family since 1998. Uh, and once in a while, Gus says, you know, it's time for you to get off the blue chair and come up here. So it is my privilege to share the word with you this morning. It's also my privilege to uh, say, say welcome uh, to those of you joining us online or in this room for the first time or the second time or the third time. If you've never been welcomed, welcome. It is a big deal. We do not take it for granted that you would be here. Yeah, you give it up for them. Yeah. In fact, uh, God is doing some incredible things here at Northland. Just uh, two weeks ago, I was uh, at Belonging Grow and I, I got to meet Ashley. Ashley uh, attended the service here for the very first time. And during the service, she heard about this thing called Belonging Grow and she decided she was going to sign up. And so on her first day, she jumped right in. And then at the table, uh, I think it was David. Uh, he actually had been part of Northland years ago. His career took him out to Los Angeles for a while. And now he's relocating back home here, and he wanted to reconnect with us as well. So uh, thank you so much for being a part of this family. And uh, one of the things I'm going to give you all an opportunity, whether you are online or, or here, at the end of my sermon is an opportunity to take your next step in your story of faith, whatever that may be. Every year, they, they just seem to take more ground. I, I was okay when it was just the, the week of Christmas. In fact, I was even okay when it was the 12 days of Christmas. But now they start at Thanksgiving. And then Halloween. In fact, in July, there was a week, a sneak peek, Christmas in July. And what I'm talking about is the Hallmark Christmas movies. They're everywhere. At least in my house they are. And they're so predictable. Sometimes when I want to poke Mama Bear, I, I go into the room, she's watching the movie, and I'll stand there for about 20 seconds. And then I'll go. Okay. She's going to break up with him, and she's going to get connected to this new guy who came into town. And as they're falling in love, the new guy, he's going to give up his big-time job in the big city and move to this little town, and together they're going to save the family business. Right? Or some version thereof. And then when Mama Bear decides that she wants to poke Papa Bear, she says something like, well, you really don't have a lot of room to talk. You, you'd sit there and watch episode after episode of that show, Deadly Catch. I mean, come on, all they're doing is catching crab. What's the big deal? And I said, honey, if that's all you think this is, I mean, this is an epic story of man versus the Bering Sea and man versus the ships and mechanics of all of that and then the, all the dynamics and yeah, they're, they're catching crab, but man, every time that pocket's pulled over to the edge, you just never know if there's going to be any crab. <laughs> we love stories, don't we? We love hearing them. We love telling them. And we love being a part of them. As I uh, was doing research for this sermon, read a lot of things about 
you know, five keys to stories or films, you know, dramatic films and the th elements that have to be there for a story. But I came across this quote, and I think it really captures what I'm about today. Andrew Peterson is a Christian musician, and he also writes novels. And he said this, if you want someone to hear the truth, you should tell them the truth. But if you want someone to love the truth, you should tell them the story. And that quote reminds me of a friend of mine named Jesus. Jesus was all truth, but he wanted us to love the truth and he told stories. In fact, you might recall, in fact, we, we just talked about it with the Apostles' Creed. In the, the book of John, he is in front of Pilate and Pilate is trying to determine, okay, who are you, Jesus? And we drop into the conversation, and you are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, well, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So, yeah, Jesus was all about truth, but again, he wanted us to love the truth. And as we read through the Gospels, he tells stories and parables, ways for us to connect to his story. Well, Jesus didn't corner the market on storytelling. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a collection of a lot of different stories. And I captured these three verses. They're in Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their stories. Those he has redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. And in just these three verses, it really does capture a big part of the story. These verses tell us who God is, what he has done. You've probably heard that expression if you've attended here very long. It tells us who he includes and what our response is. Who is God? Well, the verse says he's the Lord. He is love. He, his love endures forever. What has he done? Well, he's re redeemed us from the hand of the foe. Who does he want to include? Well, he, he wants to gather all those from east, west, north, south. And our response is to tell that story so that others can be redeemed does a pretty decent job of capturing the big story of scripture. In fact, I would encourage you tomorrow when we publish the Digging Deeper series, uh, this Psalm 107 goes on to tell four distinct stories of how people have been redeemed. Earlier this year, in January, we launched off in a series. It was called One Story, One Scripture, One Savior. And that also captured the big picture of, of Scripture, of, of what Scripture and the Bible is all about. And I'm going to teach you today five words that will summarize the entire Bible. Now, some of you, like this is the sermon you've been waiting to hear, just five words. But when you th think about the Bible, it can be pretty intimidating to try to understand it. There are 66 books. 40 different authors, there's a, a clear beginning and a clear end, but sometimes the stuff in the middle, there's poetry, there's singing, there's history. So when we 
talk about the larger story of scripture, we call it the meta-narrative. Meta means big, narrative means story. And in fact, I wanna teach you the meta-narrative of scripture by showing you a story. This image on the screen is a piece of artwork. In fact, it is housed right now in the Fine Art Museum in Longwood, Florida called the Foyer of Northland Church. This story has been on the wall there for decades and you've probably maybe even walked past it many, many times. But this piece of artwork describes the five parts of the story. It starts with creation goes on to the fall, goes on to salvation or redemption. The white is regeneration or the age of the church. And then the final part of the story is heaven. You probably remember the beginning of the story, right? God speaks everything into existence, skies and seas and birds and lizards and animals. And as he gets through that process, he says, okay, I'm almost done. Here comes the big one, Boom, man. And then he goes, eh, I can do better, woman. And then he says, okay, my creation is finished. And you probably remember the Garden of Eden. They had everything that they ever would have wanted perfect union with their creator, God. But he told them there's just one thing, one thing you, I don't want you to do. And they did it. And then we enter the fall. That original sin creates the fall of mankind. And all hell breaks loose, literally. You want to know why things are so screwed up in our world? Because of the fall. That's what we're living in right now. That's what the world is in, the fall. And in fact, in the Old Testament, the stories talk about these people who want to get back to that union with God, that perfect relationship. Some people call it a God-shaped hole. And the story of the Old Testament, which the Old Testament chronicles about 4,000 years of history, and these stories are just people trying, people working. People making up rules and systems and religion to try to get to God, to please him. And nothing makes it. And then God fulfills his plan. He sends Jesus into the story. Jesus, who had always existed with God in eternity, God decides to send his son and put skin on him. And we just read about this in the Apostles' Creed, the, the virgin birth. And those first 30 years of his life, don't know a lot about it. He's probably spent a lot of time with his dad, Joseph, learning how to be a carpenter. But oh, those last three years. Yeah, Jesus uh, starts to teach. He, he starts to do miracles. He starts to change people. He tells stories so that people would know the truth, but more importantly, would love the truth. And then he gets turned over to the authorities because the people in power weren't too crazy about what was going on. And we just read Pilate was trying to figure out who is this Jesus. And ultimately Jesus gets condemned to death on a cross. 
Not because he sinned, not because he violated any laws, but it was God's plan. And in his death on the cross, that shed blood we sang about, it covers the sins of the fall. It covers our sins. It covers sins that we'll commit in the future. The perfect sacrifice of Jesus. But he was dead. Things got quiet. In fact, some people thought the story was over. Maybe this Messiah wasn't really the Messiah. And one day turned into two. And two days turned into three. And there's an empty tomb. He conquers death so that we can conquer death. But the story's not over there because after he rose from the dead, for about 40 days, he appeared over 10 different times to ones and twos and, and hundreds of people. There were hundreds of people who witnessed the risen Savior. And one of his last commandments to those folks was, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And surely, surely I'll be with you until the end of the age. And those early Christians, after Jesus went back to the Father who now sits on the right hand and he is our advocate, those early Christians did not take that command as a suggestion. They got about the business of being a Christian. And that enters this, this church period. In the Old Testament, it gives us about 60 years of the early church. But it is in the writings of the New Testament that we learn how to do church, how to be the church, how to make disciples. And even now in 2021, we still follow that model, that practice. And one day, we get to the final chapter of the story, heaven. I'm told it's going to be really, really a cool place. We don't know much about it other than what is written in the book of Revelation. The apostle John, through a dream, writes down what he saw. And, and, saw. and, and, and when you read through that book, you can tell that John is just struggling because what he has seen, he can't put into human words. In fact, that's kind of how he describes it, that when we get there, either through our, our natural death or when Jesus comes back again, when we get there, we'll just holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the end of the story reconnects us with the beginning of the story, this perfect perfect union with our creator God the Father in worship and in love the end of August we started a series here at Northland and the focus was okay once someone has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus has accepted him as their only way to the Father what then is our response? How do we grow? How, how do we build on our story within his story? And 
we started a series and the first part of it was called Build. And we talked about the essentials of the Bible, of scripture, of the source of truth. We talked about the importance or the response of praying, the way we communicate with God through the spirit and the way he communicates with us. We talked about the essential response of worship and Pastor Marsh preached a sermon and reminded us that worship is every day, everywhere, in, in everything. It's much more than just an hour on the weekend. And then from that build series, we uh, went to a series called Bless. And we talked about generosity, that everything we have, whether it is the air we breathe, our talents, our passions, our abilities, the material things that we acquire, they're all God's. And we give that back in generosity to him and in service to others. Because sometimes people have to see that we love them first before they'll accept the truth. And then out of that bless, we moved into the current series, which is Belong. We, we, we're talking about the essential response of community, of connection, of, of being one another together. And then today and next week, we're going to talk about the importance of sharing our story. Now, a few months ago, when Gus approached me and said, hey, I'd really love for you to deliver a word on, on sharing stories, I started thinking about it and I went, okay, this isn't too bad. Best way to talk about the importance of sharing stories is to share a bunch of stories. So I'm gonna get a story about each one of these and that would be a great, great lesson. And I started praying, Father, just teach me, show me, remind me of stories, show me current stories. And, and two things bubbled up. My original plan was consistent with that build theme. I was going to get blocks, bricks, and then put words on the bricks. But as these stories came to me, two things happened. One was that none of the stories were about just one of these. There was always a combination. The second thing about all of these stories is that it's never about one person. It's always about at least two people or more. So I am going to tell you some stories, about a half dozen of them. You will notice that I will not use anyone's name. And that's on purpose. I don't want you to hear a story and think it's someone else's story because any of these stories could be your story. It was end of January, maybe it was early February. My wife came into the kitchen and she was bouncing off the walls happy. And I said, what the heck is going on? What, what's going on, sweetheart? And she said, I just got off my first Zoom call with my new believer. Now you're wondering, what the heck is that? Well, let me tell you what that is. Here at Northland, we have dozens of women and dozens of men who are a little bit more mature in their faith. They've been Christians a while. And they have decided to serve. They, they've made themselves available for folks who say, you know what, I'm kind of new at this Christian thing and, and I don't have a really firm foundation. C can you help me with that? 
and they get paired up. So she began to tell me a little bit about the call, and they shared their stories about how they came to faith, their families. My wife was able to, to bring some scripture into the conversation, and then they prayed. And then in the, the weeks to come, the, uh, the family decided that it was time for them to come back to Northland uh, to, to be face-to-face -face with worship. So they came, and we got to worship with them. And then after worship, we went out to lunch, and I got to meet them and meet the kids. The thing I'll never forget about that day in January when my wife was bouncing off the walls and after she told me about just that first meeting, which by the way, they're still meeting. This past Friday they had a call. But what she said was this, this is what we were made for. Let me ask you, is part of your story either being discipled by someone or discipling someone else? Because ultimately, that's what we were made for. So every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, I get together with a group of guys here at Northland. Been doing it for decades. And uh, in the spring, we decided to come back to the building. Right? We were opening back up. And when I got here, Parked the car out front, it's early in the morning, and I walked in. But as I was walking in, I noticed a, a car that was parked in front of the child's worship wing. And the second week, the third week, every week, this car would be there. And then it was just like, what the heck is this car? And sometimes it was there, sometimes it was over there by the curve, turned around, the hatchback was open. And then one Saturday, the car was there, and I start walking to the building, and I see a lady with a battery-operated leaf blower. And as we get closer, I know her. She and I had served together on the succession planning committee, and here she was. In fact, she, she's an employee here at Northland. She works in the finance department. So as I got closer, I was like, hey, how you doing? And we reconnected, and I said, hey, is that your truck over there? And she said, yeah. And I said, what are you doing every Saturday? She says, well, I'm taking care of the garden. Now, I've been around Northland for a while. I didn't know about a garden. I said, what garden? She says, oh, let me tell you a story. And here, a few years ago, we had a sermon series in worship called Calibrate. And the Calibrate series was all about how we can calibrate with God, how we can get into the rhythms. And she said, that teaching series really impacted me. And as I continued to read my Bible and pray about it, I realized that maybe... I could use my passion of gardening. And she says, I knew that there was a place here at Northland behind the children's worship wing that was kind of overgrown. In fact, that's what it looked like. And she said, I just had a vision of creating a garden, a place where staff and volunteers and anyone, quite frankly, could just come and sit down and chill out for a little while. So she began to serve. And she gathered some other folks to help her, and this is the garden that's out there to this day. It's beautiful. It's tranquil. In fact, maybe I'll come back one day, I can preach a whole sermon on the stories that are in that garden about where the cross came from, about where the stones came from. 
And uh, she went on that morning and she said, Jan, and while I'm here, I, um, I take care of that stainless steel cross. You, you know, every weekend people walk out to their cars and they walk past this cross. And I just want to make sure there's some flowers and there's no weeds there. And I said, wow, that's really incredible. And then I looked at the leaf blower. I said, what's up with that? And she said, oh, well, while I'm here, you know, every Saturday we typically have a, a funeral or a memorial service. And I just come out and, and clean the pavement. I just want to make this place as beautiful as it can be. And, and I'm not making this part up, yesterday morning her car was there. I'm walking in the door, I'm walking down the foyer, and I look over into the cafe, and she's there with a broom cleaning up the floor. Now I mentioned she works in the finance department, okay? But she just does this because she wants to serve this family. Now I mentioned she's in the finance department, so she'll be thankful that I said this. Uh, she and her team are really, really passionate and serious about the generosity that we give this church. And every week in the worship guide, it gives you a little idea as to how we're doing financially. In fact, I looked at it this morning. We're about 5% behind. So uh, you can start to give or increase your giving, and we can finish the year strong. But today, after this service at 1230, there will be a public forum, a financial forum. And we do this about quarterly, and everyone is invited. You might have specific questions about finances here at Northland, and that is your opportunity to ask those questions. I'm in a coaching circle. You're probably wondering, Tom, what's a coaching circle? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, uh, for those folks here at Northland that are intentional about discipleship, we've got one or two, I've got two guys, we'll be to, around my kitchen table tomorrow morning at seven o'clock. And for those disciple makers, we, we have something called a, a coaching circle. It's a, once a month, we get together, we pray for each other, we encourage one another, we tell stories. And one of the questions that Dan usually asks us is, where do you see God moving? And one day, Dan answered that question for himself. He said, let me tell you a story about my neighborhood. Now, Dan lives in a townhome community, about 70 townhomes. And Dan would admit himself, the uh, average age is, is, is skewed towards grandparents. Let's just leave it at that. And Dan is a grandparent. And when COVID hit, his neighborhood basically went dark. Nobody would go out. Groceries were being delivered in because many of them were in a, in a high-risk category. But there was a neighbor. She's another Northlander, a Jesus follower. And she had this realization. Everyone's going to celebrate their birthday alone. Grandkids aren't going to come over. Everyone's going to celebrate their birthday alone. And that just broke her heart. So she started through texting and emailing, getting everyone's birth date in the community. And then she went to the dollar store, bought a bunch of birthday cards, bought a bunch of trinkets, and then started coordinating birthday celebrations where people could sign a card of a neighbor. Sometimes they'd meet out in the street and sing. Sometimes it was just her delivering the card to say, happy birthday. And Dan says it has transformed their neighborhood. 
So this woman talks to Dan and says, you know, when I have the opportunity to, do, to deliver a card and wish someone happy birthday, I'm always looking for signs. You know, is there a Bible? Is there a, a sign on the wall? Because I want to tell them the story about why I do this. I want to have a spiritual conversation. And she asked Dan, can you give me some tips to start spiritual conversations? Now you might be noticing I'm using someone's name and I'm doing that on purpose because next weekend Dan is going to be preaching and he's going to teach us what he taught her about sharing our stories with others. You know maybe digging in the dirt isn't your thing, maybe birthdays aren't your thing, maybe just being someplace is your thing. You know, I, I have a neighborhood too, and there's one way in and one way out, about 81 houses, and we've got seven or eight cul-de-sacs, and it's a great neighborhood to walk. We've got some big oak trees. It's really safe because the, the cars are limited. And golly, about 12 months ago, I reckon, and, and there's always people walking around, right? They're walking their dog, they're walking. You got a couple people jogging, and they never look happy, which is another good reason why I don't jog. <laughs> But one day, I noticed some, a new face, right? And I was like, he looks familiar, but I'm not so sure. Yeah, that happens, right? So uh, one day, I'm outside, and he actually is walking up my street, and he in introduces himself. Here, we had met each other years ago here at Northland through a mutual friend. So we get connected. Hey, how you doing? And I said, hey, uh, have you moved into the neighborhood? He goes, no. He said, this is just a great neighborhood to walk. And he said, so you know, we drove over, drive over here a couple times a week, and we use this time of walking to, to pray. We listen to worship music. We memorize scripture. And, uh, and along the way, you know, I'm really starting to wave and get to know some of your neighbors. And I went, wow, that's pretty cool. Fast forward about six months. And there's another guy walking up my street. Now, this guy I know. Met him years ago when we moved in. We connect. He tells me, great news, Tom, I've retired. And I went, oh, that's awesome. And he said, yeah, I've got two jobs now. One is getting in shape, so I'm going to be walking a lot. And I bought this dog. I want to train this dog. That's my retirement project. And I went, wow, that's great. So we parted ways. And as I was dragging my garbage can back to the garage, I thought, God, you could do something really cool here, and he did. So now those two guys, guy number one and my neighbor, walk together a couple of times a week. And because I know guy number one, I can guarantee you the stories that he's starting to tell are about Jesus and how important Jesus is to his life. So maybe you're a walker. A few years ago, well, not few, about eight years ago, I asked a couple of guys to meet with me the second Tuesday night of every month. And we went up into a room here at Northland. We'd pray for an hour or two. And I picked these guys because they were discipling other guys. They were meeting with guys one-on-one, one-on-three, one-on-fifteen. They would hold classes here. And we would pray for one thing and one thing only, that Northland would become a church that disciples its men. Specifically, our prayer was that every man who calls Northland home would have an opportunity to be discipled and to disciple someone else. 
And we prayed for months and months. And at the end of one of those meetings, one of the guys said, you know what? A lot of the guys I meet say that they have heard hundreds and hundreds of sermons, but this Bible is really still intimidating to them. They don't know how to read it. They don't understand it. No one's ever taught them the basics of the Bible. And he says, I've got an idea. I'm going to create a class. It's going to be 26 weeks long, and it's going to cover the entire Bible. And we said, 26 weeks for guys? And he says, no, I'm going to call it Bible boot camp. I'm going to let them know we ain't messing around. And that first year, 35 guys started the journey, and 22 guys finished 26 weeks later. That guy came back, the leader, and said, man, just an incredible experience. These guys are growing. And he said, two things have happened. They all want more. So next year, when I run Bible Boot Camp, it's going to be 40 weeks. And the other thing that's happened with these 22 guys is they want to bring their wives. I said, huh, we're talking about guys here. And he said, no, these guys are going home. Their, their wives are asking them, what are you learning? And the guys can tell them what they're learning. And the wives want to attend. Is that okay? And we're like, of course it's okay. That's exactly what we're praying for. So now, seven years later, there have been over 450 people that have started that 40-week journey and over 260 that have finished that journey. And they learn about the Bible. They learn about prayer. They serve together. In fact, they worship together. After last night's service, there were about six of them. They mobbed me. They went, thank you so much for telling everybody about how awesome this is. And they've become a community. And you would think with COVID, oh, that threw a wrench in the things. No, just provided opportunities. Because now people from Portland, Oregon, New York City, all over the country are, are, are part of that. I relocated here to Orlando, 1998. My job was downtown, so every day I would drive downtown, I was right on Orange Avenue. And shortly after moving here to Orlando, I uh, became a, a part of a, of a ministry down there called Priority Associates, and they were focused on the marketplace, making the marketplace the mission field. And after a couple of months, I ended up being on some teams that were planning some uh, programs, and one of the guys in that team had also just recently moved to Orlando. He was about 15 years older than me. He had a couple of decades of corporate experience, had semi-retired from corporate life, and was starting his own business with the sole purpose of being able to meet new people so he could tell them about Jesus. This guy is kind of like who I wanted to be when I would grow up. So I said, hey, would you mind, could, could we get together? And that started an over 20-year relationship with this guy. And about once a month, we get together, coffee, breakfast. And you might say, well, what do you do when you get together? Well, we, we tell stories about how life is going. We talk about the Bible and its truth and how to apply it. We pray a lot for each other. He goes to a different church. Uh, but so he tells me a little bit about what's happening with their church, and I tell him a little bit about what's happening with ours. No secrets, we just share life. Well, about four or five years ago, 
Uh, I had left the corporate world. I was starting my own self-employment business. And um, I'll just say that uh, sometimes there were months where revenue didn't meet expenses, if you know what I mean. And uh, it's just the way it is in business sometimes, right? And, and uh, eventually I kind of worked through that emergency fund I had put, a, put aside. And then um, started to incur a little bit of credit card debt, but I, I was good at that because what I would do was take my credit card debt and I would do the 0% interest balance transfer. So about every four to six months, I would transfer someplace else, 0% interest. When I was down to like 30 days, it was like, Jesus, please, 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 give me a piece of junk mail that says there's a 0% balance transfer. And that kind of grinds on you. So in one of my sessions with this guy, and he knew about it, he had been praying for, for months about that and uh, generating new business, etc. And I said, you know, to be Totally honest with you, right now it should be one of the happiest times of my life. My, my oldest son is, is graduating from high school. He's going to the university of his dreams. And about 30 days, we've invited 100 people over to the house. And I don't know how I'm going to pay for all that. And the school that he's going to is up in New York. And this school has a couple of traditions where, where parents should be there. And I've put all of my frequent flyer miles together and I can get him there. And I can get Janet, my wife, there, but I don't think I can go. And my friend just went, wow, he said, that's tough, I understand, I'll pray for you. About a week later, I got a piece of mail. And it was an envelope, I opened up the envelope, and in it was this card. Hey Tom, I really want you to be able to enjoy Jordan's party on the 22nd and your trip to see him in July. Please accept this gift as it comes from my heart. You are a wonderful brother in Christ, and I cherish our friendship. And with the card, there was a check, a big check, a couple thousand dollar check. And my emotions ranged from, woo, to, you failure. You put yourself into this situation, just work yourself out. This is ridiculous. You, you've got to take charity now from somebody? And my emotions that day ranged on both ends of that continuum. After a few hours, I settled down, picked up the phone, called him up, and I said, wow, I got your card. And I got your check. Oh my goodness, uh, you know, I, I, this has never happened to me. Thank you so much for your generosity, but I am not gonna cash that check. And then there was this awkward silence, and then he said, oh yes, you are. He said, Tom, I have been praying for you for months on this topic. And a few days ago, as I was praying, the Lord spoke to me. You know what he said? He said, stop praying, do something. So this is my gift to you. And then he said, I want you to cash the check. I want you to book the flights and I'll be there on the 22nd. It better be a great party. And then he said, and don't you ever talk to me about trying to repay this. This is a gift. I would not take a million dollars for this piece of paper and the lesson it taught me. Sure, it was about his generosity, but the other big lesson I had to learn was being able to accept that gift. And you know what? For a lot of people, 
That's one of the biggest obstacles to this whole Jesus story. You think, wait a minute, I don't have to do anything? I don't have to pay it back? No, it's a free gift. And our job is to accept it. This last story is a recent story. It was August 23rd. My uh, wife got a call from her sister who lived up in Jacksonville. That's where we came from back in 1998. And uh, the call on Monday was basically, I'm in the hospital. Now, her, her sister, uh, my sister-in-law, never been married, and we were her closest geographic family. Um, so she called her sister. I'm in the hospital. That was Monday. By the time Thursday, oh, and by the way, so my sister-in-law, she loved stories. She loved to read. Every time you'd see her, she'd be reading something, and she turned that into her passion, her vocation. She was a reading teacher. She worked at an alternative school in Jacksonville. So the middle school kids who either academically or behaviorally got removed from the normal school, they'd go to the alternative school. And her gift was to work with middle schoolers who were a few grade levels below in their reading comprehension and work with them and to get them to grade level or above. And she has changed the trajectory of so many of those kids but Monday's phone call was, I'm in the hospital. Thursday's phone call was my wife speaking to the intensive care nurse. The night before, they had rushed her into surgery to try to figure out what was causing some of the pain. And uh, not only did they confirm some acute kidney issues, they also found a uh, perforated intestine, which had then caused septic shock. And while she made it through the surgery, she was unconscious, she was on a ventilator, and she was in grave condition. So my wife immediately started to, to shuffle things. She needed to get to Jacksonville. I wouldn't be able to get there until Friday afternoon. And this was in the height of, of COVID, and uh, she wasn't able to stay at the hospital overnight. So Thursday night, while she's in her hotel room, she's downloading to me the whole day. She's telling me about doctors who are using the word miracle in the next 48 hours. And she said, Tom, there's just so much happiness and sadness. She says, you know, I'm there, I'm holding her hand, and I'm, I'm praying with her, I'm reading scripture, I'm singing and playing worship songs, and I don't know if she can hear it, but I'm there. And one of the happiest things is that over the past few years, we've been able to share our spiritual stories, and I know without a doubt that if she doesn't make it, she's going to be with Jesus. And she didn't make it. She died the next day. And my wife went on to talk about the happy part, and she said, one thing I've got to say is that my phone has been blowing up all day. Friends, girlfriends who are reaching out to me, text, voicemail, email, people who are willing to come up here and sit with me and be with me. And I am overwhelmed. But the sad part, the really sad part, Tom, is there's another cell phone in that room, and it's my sister's. And I charged it up. I was able to get into it. 
and she's not getting text messages. She's not getting voicemails of people checking up on her. This broke my wife's heart because for years she's been encouraging her sister just to, to take the next step. Go, go out to dinner with some of the teachers that you work with. Get to know them. The church that you regularly attend, sign up for a Bible study. Get involved in a small group. But my sister-in-law is like many of us. You know, life kind of gets in the way. We're busy. We got other things. A few weeks ago, we had baptisms here at Northland. It's pretty cool. When I heard about it, I sent an email to the person organizing it, and I said, hey, I'm available. If you need me, I'll fold towels, clean up, whatever. Just tell me how I can help. They emailed me back, and they said, yeah, here's what your job is. And I got to meet with most of the folks that were getting baptized. And my job was to get their name, contact information, find a little bit about their story, and then specifically to ask them why they wanted to be baptized today. One of the last people in line was a young lady. And when she approached me, she appeared a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious. So I asked her a few questions, and then I got to the question, why do you want to be baptized today? And she said, you know, I've been a Christian for a lot of years. And for a lot of years, I have known that my next step is that I need to get baptized. But I've never taken the opportunity to do that. Things get in the way. Life is busy. And she said, I attended church this morning and I had no idea that that's what you guys were going to do today. And I sat there thinking, another missed opportunity. And she said, as I was walking out to my car, I sat down and God just told me, today's your day. No more excuses. So she said, here I am. <laughs> I don't have any dry clothes. Let's do this thing. <laughs> And she got baptized. I don't know what the next step in your story is. But I know who does. It's a father in heaven. Your father who loves you. And while Marsh closes us out this morning, I want you to pray. I want you to sit there and pray to your heavenly father. Perhaps your next step is your biggest step, which is today's the day that you accept Jesus. You accept that gift of, of salvation. You become a Christian. And, and what a step that would be. And then I also want you to pray about, well, what is my next step? And when Marcia's singing, I want you to pull out your phone. I want you to turn it on. And I want you to text the word Northland to 97,000. Just the word Northland, 97,000. And when you do that, you're gonna get a reply text and it's gonna say, how can we help you? You then re can reply with number one. It could be, you know what, I've got, I've got questions about this thing because some of you aren't ready to make that step to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You got a whole bunch of questions and that's okay. But your next step needs to be finding answers to those questions, and we want to help you with that. A, a response with number two would be, I'm a new believer. And a new believer could be, I just accepted Jesus, or I accepted Jesus years ago, but I don't feel that I've got that firm foundation. And I want to walk with someone. I, I want to get involved in a smaller group that I can learn that firm foundation. Number three, 
some of you have been sitting in blue chairs for a long time. You have heard thousands of sermons. You've attended Bible studies. But yet, you still, right now, are not intentionally discipling someone. And let me just give you a real quick test for that. If you don't have a time on your calendar in the next two to three weeks with someone's name on it, you're not intentionally discipling somebody. And maybe today you're like, okay, it's time to, to, to get out of the seats and, and get onto the playing field and actually do what Jesus told me to do, to make disciples. And you probably have a lot of questions like, what do I do? What's that look like? What book do I use? We got it all covered for you. We'll get you in a coaching circle. We'll bring you along. And you might not even have someone that you can disciple. We'll fix that for you too. And then the fourth option, you just don't know what your next step is. Your head's spinning, your life is spinning, and you just need to talk to somebody. And you would respond with four. Either I or my good friend Susan will call you back in the next couple of days and we'll begin talking about what those next steps are. So as Marsh closes us out, pray, ask God what your next step is.